I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. I want to. I want to hear about you meeting Armin Shimmerman. Uh, yeah, I sat in on rehearsals of a play in L.A. I went. It was uh, Harold Pinter's The Birthday Party, and it were, had an amazing cast of sort of B-list uh, Hollywood celebrities. And Armin was he was great. He was a really, really sweet guy, and uh, was amazing in the plays. You can tell he's a he's a classic character actor, obviously by what he does. J.G. Hertzler, who plays General Martok on Deep Space Nine, plays a voice very early in the game at the medical center in the first Bioshock. He plays one of the crazy doctors. He's the one that's screaming, "Nurse, you know, where are my patients?" And that's that's General Martok running around the Klingon. Yeah, There's I, a Klingon in Rapture, is what I'm saying. And actually, Garrick from Deep Space Nine was directing. So, it was oh really? Was he? Oh yeah. 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 Is, is it Andrew Robinson? What I yeah. really, really love about Bioshock 2 is that it would be so easy, and it often is the result of a lot of things that are about ideas or stories that are overtly political, is that it's so easy to turn the thing you're criticizing into a straw man, and they never do that with Andrew Ryan. Yeah. That it's so easy to understand why somebody would be won over and just go, man, this guy's incredible. He is a great person because he gives great speeches. He's got a compelling voice. You understand where he's coming from, that you also see the limits of it, that he's an uncompromising guy who, through the course of the story, is forced to make compromises. Like, for instance, nationalizing that industry after he goes to civil war with another business leader. And for all his talk about, you know, free markets, you rise as high as your ambition, he still wants to be king of the city. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of hypocrisy built into Andrew Ryan, and I think probably the biggest point of hypocrisy if you're just looking at it from a pure story point of view is that uh he is an explicit atheist obviously he's an explicit atheist however he finds it necessary to concoct the uh the great chain right and the great chain is essentially their religion and they don't and they're not and they're it's never actually explicitly stated you know we all put what is it? We all pull, we all pull the great, great chain, chain and it all pulls us. Yes. That uh, we all act in our own effort and it will pull the chain in the right direction. That it's sort of like the mo- the movement of all society. Right. And it's it's the fundamental lie to the system, right? Because when, when you go to the fish market, what is it? one of the guys goes, I, here I was going to think I was going to go into Utopia, but and then I just ended up like elbow deep in fish guts. So, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then immediately when you have a Fontaine that shows people, those people the way out, of course, that's when the system collapses, you know. That's, yeah. Revolution, I, revolution is such a huge part of Bioshock because obviously Infinite's about revolution as well. And the and about this, every utopia contains with it the seeds of its own undoing, you know. And they're both, they think Metropolis, you know, influence on Bioshock as it is on all science fiction is really clear. And you have the sort of the... The top world, which is the garden, and then you have the underworld, which in Infinite is Finkton. And that, you know, the fact that the instability inherent in that, they're both, both games are sort of societal criticisms coming from a different place. Yeah. It's pretty heady shit. It really is. Um, I just love the fact that the game just plows right at it. It uh, doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't pussyfoot around it. It just kind of shows you why this 
ideology that steers this society would be attractive and also why it fails. But ultimately, it doesn't ever stop you, sit you down, pat you on the head and tell you explicitly why it failed. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, and it's funny because I actually have gone out of curiosity to websites that are devoted to like libertarian gamers just to see what they thought of Bioshock <laughs> uh-huh. because the game is fucking great. And I think really one of the the real things of a great piece of art is if a piece of art has an ideological underpinning to it, can it overcome that underpinning and be attractive and fun and enjoyed by somebody with the exact opposite ideology? And there are all these people on this site who love the shit out of Bioshock and you just get into this just, just, oh, it's like these weird Randian apologetics to explain why it isn't the philosophy's fault why Rapture <laughs> fell. It's all Fontaine. Well, I think that that speaks to great art, right? What is great art? It creates that conversation. And like, well, let's all start talking about this thing. And that's what's great about it. It's like, okay, we're going to set up all these things and you can like explore it and have a fake-ish agency in, there, in that world. But you're going to have an opinion. On like what the ending was, what you what the what the main character was, and how you were were you a pawn, were you not? And I think that's what's great about it is that it, it does that. And I think that what we alluded to the the whole podcast is to have that with the new tools today and with this new kind of emergent kind of gameplay, which is such a I don't I mean term, I'm but. gonna I'll be the cynic here. I don't I don't think that the having better graphic processors or having more hard drive space necessarily creates more of that. I, In fact, I think it's, it creates less. I think the transition from Bioshock to Bioshock Infinite is proof in the pudding of the fact that giving us more doesn't mean we get more. In fact, giving us more makes video games more like movies and less less like games. I will, okay, counterpoint. So that isn't 100% true because you're, you're right when it comes to what we said earlier about the AAA title. When you have millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars being spent, you worry about return on investment, you worry about what other people think about your game. And so that kind of you know clouds what your final creation is. But more processing power literally allows you to do things like Until Dawn, where we have 100 different endings. It's because the processing power it takes, unfortunately, to literally play out some of the different things within the game system on a DVD or whatever, right. even though it's I, digital. I, I agree. I yeah. think that there's definitely some uh, allowance there that you can get more, basically more um, uh, systems in play. Right, so when it comes to the emerging gameplay, you have physics. So physics takes a lot of processing power. If you make physics and then choices with that, and Grand Theft Auto worlds that are very big and Skyrim worlds, you need processing power to do that. But by doing that, and this is the brilliance, is what I want Bioshock to be reinvented, this fun world, this dystopian world, in this new setting where, again, with processing power, you can play out stories within that that you made up. Like, I decided I'm going to do this situation, almost like in football. If you have play a Madden game, you, you kind of control how that play happens. I never have. You never played a Madden, yeah. No. Um, you know, I mean, That's you, not true. Maybe on the Genesis. Yeah, or in the Super Nintendo is a great one. Hmm. Yeah. Genesis. F- football physics. Hmm. Football physics. Um, Sorry. Continue. No, no, no. It's just that concept of you can allow now, and, and, and more and more processing power allows this kind of emergent gameplay to happen because you set up systems which take a lot of computing power and then you can also set up different endings which takes a lot of just time it's a lot of it's just man hours and so anyways i think that that's what we can do with these stories now we can allow all four of us to have totally different experiences at the end of bioshock how fucking amazing would that be like skyrim right now we can all talk for two hour podcast about skyrim and how different stories we had exactly so i think that if we could have that in the world of bioshock 
Good lord. Okay, well played. I I concede. I wasn't even like I, a counterpoint. No, really. I, can, I concede. I concede. <laughs> I you do, didn't have to. I love that about Skyrim is that I actually uh, figured out a cheat that I found on the internet, <laughs> do which tell. isn't the same as figuring out a cheat. Um, <laughs> uh, with this uh, magical, you know. Daedra book that you could just read it from over and over again to raise all your stats. So I maxed out my character in the game and I didn't have any new perks to get. And knowing me, I'm not a stealth guy. So I didn't take any of the assassination sort of skills. And then I'm like, wow, I want to do all the assassin quests. So I actually had to figure out a way to do assassin quests with no assassin skills. Love it. So I have to hmm. kill people in the middle of the city without getting caught effectively without getting a bounty. So I tried so many different ways and I found one that worked. Bucket on the head? No, not bucket on the I'd have a lot of buckets. I love, that's one of my favorite things in, in uh, Skyrim. And cheese wheels. Cheese wheels. Cheese wheels, too. Is you just make a pile of things that blocks the vision of somebody and you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Put a bucket over the head of the Where'd shopkeeper. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? What? I got yeah. a bucket on my head. Nothing's happening. I guess there's just empty wood in my shop. But see, um, you, you made a game within the game. Yeah. I. You know how I killed uh, a assassin? Assassinated people in the middle of a city, werewolf assassinations. Oh, you they didn't in, know it was you. Yeah, yeah, you go into a little room with nobody in there, turn into a werewolf, come out, gore the guy, run out of the city. Sometimes you have to eat a couple guys on the way out. <laughs> come on, that's the cost of doing as business. As you do, as you do, yeah. And you just turn back into a person, put all your clothes back, walk into town. The corpse is there. Yeah. As far as everyone else is concerned, a werewolf did it. Yeah. <laughs> that's and, great. That's exactly what I'm talking about. The game within the game that you created from the systems in place. And so, yeah, fuck, a Bioshock like that would, it would be, be... It would be beautiful to so see. So fun. The, I think the other way that games, uh, you know, as they we get better and better games, it's not even just the technology. It's also that we learn, We you know, like gameplay elements. One the little tiny thing that bothered me, going back to the original Bioshock, uh, after playing some Infinite, was that you can't do plasmids and weapon at the same time. Mm. You have to switch between them instead of having on-hand, you know, the sort of off-hand mechanic. Right. And that made a huge difference in how it could play, and it didn't feel as fluid. It didn't it didn't work the way that I wanted it to. And so there are things that we, we learn, and, you know, Bioshock said there's a lot that works that's not original because it's it's just based on what's happened before. I think if you were to plan a Bioshock game now, it's more likely that they would use some of those elements you're talking about, some mm -hmm, of those yeah. choice elements and storytelling elements. Yeah, you learn by creating. Mm -hmm. And yeah. not to just continue to verbally fillet Bethesda and the Fallout <laughs> Skyrim games, but I actually played those God, games. God, we can't, we can't actually do our open world uh, podcast now. We've done it already. Oh, We've done it already. I still have a lot to say about open oh, worlds. Oh, I have a lot yeah. to say yeah. about open worlds. But, go on uh, for hours. I really loved the fact that Playing them in a reverse order, I played Skyrim first, which came out in like 2011. Was it 2011, 2012? I think so, yeah, 2011, I think, yeah. And then I played Fallout 3, which came out in 2008. And then I played uh, Fallout New Vegas, which came out between them. So I played them in a weird kind of inside-out reverse order. And what I found was that there were elements that had gone into the newer game that had clearly come out of frustrations from the older mm -hmm, game. Mm -hmm. And it was because I had that reverse experience of seeing those things fixed. Like, what door am I supposed to go through? Oh, it's got the little symbol on it. Which yeah. guy in the room am I supposed to talk to? There's an icon over his head. Yeah, and you learn and, that. Yeah. And then I go into another game and I'm like, okay, I see him on my radar. Am I pointed at that character now? And then you talk to them. Uh, little things like that 
uh, made me appreciate these little incremental differences between these games. And one of them was sometimes the mapping system in Fallout New Vegas, which is an awesome game, but by no means a perfect game. Oh, man, uh, there's a spell in Skyrim where you go, and this little beam comes out of your hand and shows you the path that the game wants you to take. That saves you so much time in a dungeon. Mm -hmm. And there's so many places in Fallout where I'm like, okay, go through that door. Wait, go back through that door. Go through that door. Go. Where am I supposed to go? <laughs> although, and, although I think Fallout 4 is not going to have that. Actually, thinking about that, I don't oh know. God. It might not have the. Yeah, we don't know. I want that funny thing about the the pathing where you sort of where I'm supposed to go is that I realize video games have trained me to figure out which way to go and then go the other way because that's where the secrets are. That's oh right, right, right. Uh, so, yeah, you can go left or right. I'm gonna go left. Yeah, and, and so I start to wander down a path, and if it keeps going, then I know that I need to go back and find the dead I end. Totally. Yeah. Oh my god, isn't that so weird? We again, that's almost a game within a game too. We're like, listen, we know that this is the path. Yeah. <laughs> and that gets tricky when it gets open world because you're like, I gotta go all the way back. Everybody gone to the Rapture's plan. You can only really they they joke that it's a walking simulator because you go really slow. There's a run button that was like, I guess the developers didn't tell most of the gaming press that was in there. It was right one, you push right one. And so literally I was playing it and I didn't know there was a run button, and I was going like, oh, that same thing. I can go left. That looks like the way I'm supposed to go. I'll go back this way. Mm-hmm. But then I had to walk like really slow. And I'm like, oh, this is going to take forever. You know, I think that's part of the behavior that we've been trained to do. Um, like I think about this. I didn't get to say this at all. This is the part that I love the most. The mechanic that's really annoying in Bioshock and Infinite, which is like searching through containers for loot, I realize is partly a holdover from like old RPG stuff where items that you collect are a big part of the sort of currency of how you play a game. Mm-hmm. They also encourage you to go and look at the art that people painstakingly put together yeah. and built in this world. You see so much more of the world and you find audio the audio diaries and stuff, but you see so much of the more of the world because you got to go like, "Oh, I'm going to go look in that trash can and see if there's ammo." Mm-hmm. And that actually opens up lots of stuff that if it's like Call of Duty, you're just going to like, you're going to run really fast from one end of the level to the next. You're going to follow the, the the one straight vector that's going to get right. you from A to B. Um, just and a brown blur. That's just, <laughs> just a brown blur, loud brown blur. And this one you're like, I go in the library because I, I might get more loot in the library. Right. But, but I, I mean, as as cheap as that is, because you do spend a lot of time clicking the you know clicking the open button clicking the collect button you also do get to see a lot you get to see, you get to witness a lot of the world that they built and i think that for a game that's so well designed for a series that's so well designed i think it's actually nice you know what's funny that's actually a good point that i didn't bring up either on the full show was that that it's similar to go with me on this it's similar to mobile games and that feeling you get when you there's so many of these clicker games you just like click things and you just get points and the sound effect it's all about sound design being really good and making you feel good that you just get well, that, that dopamine sound, rush your yeah. dopamine rush there's a dopamine rush in fucking bioshock because when i hit that loot button open button man it just feels really good i i'm saying it right now and getting a little bit of chills mm-hmm. uh it just that's feels also, good that's also why i love the scrounger perk that allows you to research and 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 juggle what you might actually be getting. It's right, like, right. ooh, there's a snack cake in that trash can. Yeah. yeah. You're like the world's most accomplished homeless person in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Those snack cakes are like a year old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're still good. They're I- like Twinkies. Yeah. <laughs> Which would still be good. There's, yeah, that, that also is one of the things that tears apart the cohesiveness of Bioshock 2 is there's still a lot of food lying around 10 years after. Du, du, du. Come on. There's phonographs on. There's food everywhere. The power is great. The, I mean, the walls look a little dingier in yeah. Bioshock 2. Yeah. 
The uh, thing that I always kind of wonder about, and this is just the question of where I am in the ecosystem of gamers out there. I'm certainly a much more casual gamer than a lot of people who are really, really into it. Before I played Bioshock for this podcast, I had probably gone three or four months without playing any games. What? Yeah. <gasps> yeah. I'm, you know, my nerdity <sighs> kind of pulls me more in the comic book direction than the video game direction, but I do really love the crap out of video games. And I've always kind of wondered how much my thumb is on the pulse of the average gamer because, like, I was a big there's no fan. no such thing. I mean, I would argue that there's just no such thing as average gamer. Well, I don't know if there's an average gamer, but there's the people that are overly catered to by AAA games. Okay, yes. Um, people who like shooters. I'm not a shooter fan, but so many of my favorite games look and feel like shooters. Again, Bioshock, um, another one, Fallout, Skyrim. They all look like first-person shooters where you the only thing you see of your character most of the time is your hand. Um, though I always play, you know, Fallout and stuff in third person. Well, that's like the thing. More. We're changing that. I hate I hate the term first person shooter. I hate FPS because, again, it was born out of Doom. It was born out of Unreal. It was born out of, fuck, like, really shooters, right? But now if it's a first person game, I, again, there's like a walking simulator. There's other types of, you know, ways to explain it. But I just want it to be a game. Mm-hmm. And then it happens to have first person. And so then you don't have to, like we said earlier, we don't have to shoot things. You can just explore this world or do different ways to, you know, so, move the story along. And that's the stuff I need to have yeah. to, to make it interesting because I have never had any interest in any of the Call of Duty games. Oh, good. Good on um, you. It just, I, I guess what it is, if you're playing a fantasy world that you don't have in real life, I want to play something truly strange or interesting. Yep. And just... Being in a sandbox with a bunch of other people shooting at each other with stuff that you could have in real life if you actually wanted to do all the push-ups you'd need to do to be in that level of the military, <laughs> which I am not willing to do. Because that's what it is, a one-to-one ratio of push-ups versus – You get yeah, the better weapons. Better you, weapons, yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, to 200 push-ups. If we I, did like 200 push-ups right now, we would get a machine gun. Of yeah, course. you gain right, a yeah. level. Yeah. And ching yeah. Hey, yeah. new inventory unlocked. I'm just sad that life is not like a role-playing game and that going out and killing small animals will make me smarter. I can, no, I can choose doesn't. to spend those ex, those experience points <laughs> but to eating, level up my wisdom. But if you eat poison, it makes you a better chemist. That's how that works. <laughs> right. um, the thing that I love about um, one first-person shooter, I guess you could call this one a first-person shooter, much more so than games like Skyrim and Bioshock, is Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2, which I love the crap out of. And I realize how atypical I was of the fan base of that game when uh, Valve put out this question of, we want to put a new weapon in the game. What new weapon is it going to be? And I'm like, oh, I got some ideas. And I look at everyone else's response, and it's like, this super specific military weapon. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Mm-hmm. And it's like this specific thing. And it's like, oh, okay, but like some... You know, Green Beret has that. I don't know what that is. For me, guns go in the same category they do for a lot of other gamers, which is pistol, rifle, shotgun, submachine gun, uh, rocket launcher, <laughs> and something that drops mines. Yeah. I mean, that, those, they, they're grouped by function and nothing else. Like, okay, that's a shotgun. That's a shotgun with a slightly different design. You need to play Dead Rising. Yeah. That you can, like, make a toaster gun or something. You know, it's, like, ridiculous. One of, one, of the, one of the more fascinating parts about 
Fallout 4, but yes. But it's the weirdness of that stuff that makes it interesting. Same thing with Dead Island. It's like, I'm not just having a bat with a bunch of nails in it. It's like, I have a bat that has a working buzzsaw on the end of it. It's something absurd. Uh, So those military games, I don't want that new fancy military gun that I could actually buy if I wanted to spend $3,000 on it in real life. What do I want to have for this game? What were my suggestions? Oh, I want a lighter with a can of hairspray. Yeah. And I want a snow shovel. Well, not to (laughs) sound unpopular... Uh, I don't know how many people will hear this and how many people will be upset. We're by already it. unpopular just by virtue okay. of being here. So, but, yes. <laughs> but that concept of there's a large chunk of this country of, let's say, males who do know all the guns and do want to, uh, how much do I want to say here, uh, be part of that experience of the military and go to a third world country and kill people. Okay. I know I'm bringing it down. I'm bringing it down yeah, the room. That's fine. But it's true because I, I'm the guy, and just like you, and I want the fantasy element. Obviously, a bunch of bad stuff happens in this world, and there's some terrible parts where people have to make hard decisions about being in the military for your country, multiple different countries, and having cool. guns. And then there's the fantasy element because I want to have an escapism and go into Narnia or Skyrim or wherever and deal with this different stuff. And so, yeah, for me, I'm the same way. Not Call of Duty guy ever because I know bad stuff happens in this world or tricky. I won't even say bad, okay? I'll be PC about it. I'll say there's some tricky situations where people, a lot of good people, now I'm really... Anyways, a lot of good people oh, are in the military. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm actually pos- I'm like uh, No, no, I understand I'm, what you're I'm saying. I'm helping him now out because but, but what you're really talking about is the demographic of people to it appeals to. And I would say the same thing about the Madden game. I have no pretensions whatsoever. I don't like them. I will never spend money on them. Uh, when Do you s- watch football? No, no. Okay, so I there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um and and when when someone, you know, when I want to talk about video games to someone and they talk about the the last Madden game that came out, I'm completely and totally checked out. Mm-hmm. Does that make them less legitimate gamers? No. It just means that they're it just means that there's some that video gaming is now diverse enough that like I can it can be non-overlapping magisteria and for video games. You know I, what I'm there's saying? things that I just don't enjoy, and it's okay with someone else liking it. And there should be more different sorts of things out there. The thing that offends me with Madden isn't that it's about football and that they incrementally get better at showing you the experience of watching football on TV. Occasionally you hit a button, but I think the thing that bothers me with Madden is that they put a new game out every single year that should just right. be a DLC. Yeah. Well, yeah. they finally, I heard, because uh, someone was on the podcast recently talking about, uh, or my podcast, was talking about the new Madden, and them actually adding new elements. The problem with Madden specifically, if we want to get into it, is that they bought the license, right? EA bought the totally. license. Yeah. And so they didn't have to. They could literally rest on their laurels and not make a new game because there was no competition that breeded creativity. Yeah, then that's what I really like the mechanics of some sports games, but it actually doesn't do much for me that it's tied to specific people because I I don't I'm not a big fan of of the actual sports. I don't watch a lot of sports. Right. Um, I would love to for them to use some of those mechanic ideas and actually liberate them from. Yeah. But I realized they wouldn't have nearly the audience. You couldn't take FIFA. And not make it, you know, make it about a different game. You wouldn't have soccer players around the world. Well, they, would... they have like EA Street. You know, there's some yeah. stuff like that, right? And Blood Bowl or what, some from Nintendo. Yeah, was yeah. it? Was yeah. it Blood Bowl? I think so. The one where you're like uh, Vikings or something. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Some like and you like uh, fight as well as playing football. That, yeah, fun. like, that... like Arch Rivals, the yeah, basketball Arch, game Arch where you Rivals. punch people and you okay. pull down their pants. Yeah, nice. yeah. So and then they're like, "What use... are you doing?" You're I will say that NBA Jam is one of my favorite one of my favorite games of all time. And that's because again, the game mechanic, like you said, it's. 
it's like crazy, crazy moment, and you're like, this is fun. Where you're yeah. jumping literally 50 feet into the air and doing yeah. it like a you're you're spinning in the air like a little flip, like you're a contra character. <laughs> to bring it to bring it all back around, I, that's why I want less space marines, right? So if yeah. you have that yeah, shooter I agree. I agree. and you have that setting, it's just like we'll change it up a bit. You know what I mean? You know what's a good example is the one uh, based on Heart of Darkness. What's that game? There's a game based on Heart of Darkness. The right? novel Heart yeah, of Darkness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't think of it. Oh, my goodness. I'm going think, to think of it as soon as it's over. You can just use your Google. Heart of Darkness video game. You'll get it. Google, what's that? Yeah. And it's basically, it's doing that. It's changing your concept. You're a military soldier. Got it. It's not the same situation. You're not going in to shoot some people and liberate an area, right? It's like, it's different. It's obviously, it's Heart of Darkness, right? So that's the kind of stuff we can do. And that's all I'm asking for. I just don't want something interesting. And I'm again, I'm not a sports guy, but the only games that will frequently do something sort of interesting in the sense that it doesn't feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over, because watching somebody else play Madden is like the most mind-numbing thing I've ever <laughs> seen, because I see them frequently just jump to their turn, yeah, where yeah. they're on the offense, and I see them move around, and it's like, oh, they guess they did a good job you know, animating that guy with the camera or that guy with the Gatorade thing. And I'm like, that guy never was in a video game 30 years ago, the Gatorade yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> but he is now because Gatorade gave them some money. Yeah. And uh, I look at that and I'm like, you know, what I kind of enjoy, at least in the professional wrestling games, is that it's not the same kind of thing over and over. It's like, oh, here's a, a novelty match where I have to climb a ladder. Yeah. Or it's an elimination thing or it's always something kind of different. So when there's a new game, there's a new kind of match. And there's story in that. Yeah. Right? And that one, there's like there's little fantasy stories that play out. So, yeah, totally. And that's so much more interesting to me, um, even if I haven't watched wrestling in years, than, than football would be. Because it feels like all they're doing is just tweaking the thing that they have. And unless there's some major new rules to football, the actual mechanics of the game are not going to change. So I'll agree with you that there shouldn't be one every year because that's ridiculous. Or as the kids say, it's ridiculous. Donculus? No? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I will say, when I was a kid, because again, I'm 100 years old. The kids old. don't say that anymore. I know. Yeah. That's why I don't know. I don't know. That is whack. <laughs> okay. So listen, this is not whack. That, that's so wizard. This is so anti wick. This is this is an almost cray cray. Is uh, I used to have a electric football set. Do you guys know what those were? Yeah. So. Okay. Oh yeah. So it's yeah. a little piece for people who don't know, which is most of the people listening probably. There was a long piece of like uh, metal, and it looked like a football field, and there was little football players you put on there, and you turn this little uh, on switch, and you plugged it in the wall, turn it on, and literally it vibrated, which moved all the little football players around. There was no real good way to play a play. There was a very weird version where you could like take a little ball, football, and put it in the quarterback's hands and flip it like you're flinging it like a uh, football. <laughs> and then it, whoever it like hits, you're like, okay, he's got the ball now. Turn it back on. Where does he go? In a circle. <laughs> um, but the reason is I like that because I like simulation. Sure. So to speak to the people who do like sports games, well, I do like Madden, actually. I don't want one every year. But I want one because I like the simulation aspect, especially when you live in Seattle like us and we lose on the last fucking play. Um, I can recreate that <laughs> and do it myself. Swearing's allowed, right? No, yes, it yeah. is. Okay. I was just going to say I, I occasionally will love to go back and uh, have – Tecmo, Tecmo Super Bowl replay this the Super Bowl from whatever year is and of course yeah. the, the teams don't match up in skill no, so no, you generally no. have like things that don't make any sense happening yeah. Yeah. but that's that is the way that that is the my way that I get to appreciate sports is through 
nostalgic video gaming. Tech Mobile, yeah. But that's a funny thing with these games, and I'm speaking as somebody who works at a used bookstore and people bring in their old video games to sell me. There is nothing that sells less oh. than an outdated sports game. Yeah. That I like. Thank you, by the way, sports video game producers, for putting the year on the front of the cover. Mm. Makes my job so much easier. Yeah, like five, five buying, cents. Five yeah. cents. Yeah. Not no, buying, I mean, and not that, buying that. Not buying that. I, not buying that. Being a guy who has been a thrift store thrift store hunter for old video games, um, it really belies the value of a sports video game. Yeah, they're valueless. Oh they're, yeah, they're often yeah. the ones that are not bought. Because as soon as a, a few years have passed, they're not worth anything. But what's so and crazy... That's, that's not true for a copy of Bioshock. That's not true no. for a copy of Ico. That's not true Super for... Super Mario Sunshine. Yeah, it's not true for any of that. And it tells you a lot about the uh, people who play it and what value they place on those Well, games. it also tells you about the developer and the money-grabbing situation that's going on. Because I don't no, think... No, but if a game is good, it doesn't matter what the developer has done or is going is done in the past or was doing in the future. If a game is good, it will be good for to play and replay forever. Okay, let me counterpoint that. My point is that if you have pretty good physics, okay, I can still play a Super Nintendo John Madden football game and have fun with it because the physics were really fun. There was this weird mechanic with the football that had the football had its own mechanics back in Super Nintendo days where it would like bounce all around. Yeah, totally. Remember? And it was like, what's going to happen? Who's going to get this ball? And that's fun to this day, to your point, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that they can make a new one that had good physics that were fun enough, but then just give us DLC for the new characters. Yes. And then we'd be okay. Because yeah. then I would agree with you. I'd be like, okay, this is a game that's just fun. Fuck off. I'm not going to buy another one. John, Man- or John Madden Football 98 is great. As long as you keep updating it. Yeah. So I don't feel like a sucker. Oh, you playing with, uh, you know, I don't know, some character, you know, some person who's not been in the right. game or whatever. I, I guess maybe the problem is that it's not timeless. And that's I've, it. And I feel like in, in the best kind of video games become timeless. Yeah. And you can go back and play tetris on the game boy and be like holy shit this game is amazing and it and, and it doesn't need to change ice hockey for nintendo yeah. oh yeah we can all play that right now That's and be like totally. having so much fun we, we can go down we should do that right start some fist, fist fights yeah. yeah yeah the thing that i i get in it too is that how often should a sequel come out to anything i know that if there's a different madden game being coming out every single year does that mean the minute they stop making this one they're making the next one so it's like the minute it comes off the lot, it loses value. I mean, it's a really weird thing. And you compare that to, say, Super Mario Kart. Super Mario Kart comes out once per console generation. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's just a smarter move because it means that by the time a new one comes out, the console has new possibilities. It, 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 there's things that you just can't do in the last one. It just goes back to who's buying it. It's that consumerism thing. Because people are buying it, they keep making them. Yeah. If we all boycott, go back to our revolution thing, <laughs> let's make a freaking revolution in sports games, no one buy the new one. Yeah. yeah. But they're going to, right? This is the easiest boycott in the world for me because I don't buy it now. <laughs> let's let's all boycott a thing we never buy. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to call on every one of you to boycott to see the Star Wars movie then. Wait, what? Because no. didn't we agree in the car that they're going to ignore the prequel trilogy, which which is by, a good thing. Which, by the way, the prequel trilogy is the real Star Wars. Oh, oh I see what he's doing. It, he's saying it when he's across a table. It's the real. <laughs> <laughs> he can't he can't just ignore Naboo. Princess Amidala, Jar Jar, that, that guy who flew the ship. Why not? I he do. Can, he can't just ignore them. I do that he, all he the better, time. He better have a blue glowy of Hayden Christensen. He better have one. I have a, a whole series of elaborate firewalls in my brain <laughs> to ignore stuff in Star Wars that I don't like. Yeah, I actually, I downloaded the Despecialized Edition, which oh, is, yeah. is the result of like hundreds of hours, man hours of just 
you know, unpaid nerds just going through seven <laughs> different nerds. editions to, to strip out all it's, of the It's actually effects. pretty impressive, all the sources that they pull from, all the analysis that they do to try to painstakingly reconstruct it. I think I've heard on the horizon that now that Disney owns it, they are going to offer the uh, as close to they can get as the original trilogy uh, on Blu-ray next year. However... Lucas has claimed that the original the original prints do not exist anymore. But I don't know how that's possible. I think it's, Lucas is also a known liar. I yeah. mean, <laughs> there's a lot of good things about Lucas, and we talked about that. But it always of, comes back to Lucas. The the bad thing with Lucas though is that he lies all the time. Like he says, "Oh yeah, I wrote these like years ago," and it's like, "No, this is totally a first fucking draft. <laughs> this script and." And you look at the first, you look at episode one, then you look at episode two, it's clear that, well, that shit didn't work. I'm cutting that out. Less Jar Jar. No talk about midichlorians. You didn't write this 10 years ago. You wrote this as a response to the last thing. Yeah. So don't lie to me. Uh, it's the same sort of thing. So when he says that he destroyed the, the masters, I don't believe him for a second. Mm. I think he's saying it to shut nerds up. Yeah. yeah. By the way, unpaid nerds, great name. Like, that should be a podcast. Nerds. Yeah. Also, someone told me a story once that they were going to go to a, a Halloween party or something like that dressed as Jar Jar, only if, like, their 20, 30 friends went all as Jar Jar. And they were like, they're all come as a bunch of Jar Jars. No one else did. Oh, my God. And it was just him. That's a story of like, my life. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a Jar Jar unwanted. Uh, you know who I feel really bad for? Probably the most in the Star Wars prequels is Ahmed Best. Who oh, played yeah. Jar Jar? Yeah. Now the reason I feel bad for Ahmed Best is that he probably says, "Man, I'm playing a CGI character. I don't know if this has ever been done a fully realized CGI character. This is going to be huge. My career is going to be based on this." But the problem was his character was fucking awful. Yeah, and, and people sort of racist. Yeah, uh, I, I think I so. disagree. I, not sort of. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so, just calling it like it is. Still not as racist as the Trade Federation. Totally. Guys. No, yeah, Those yeah, guys yeah. are way more racist. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, but. You look at this character and you Jedi think... Jedi mind tricks don't work on me. Only money. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. That, and what I love yeah. about the racism of Watto is everyone disagrees about what race he's making look really, really bad. I've heard about five different answers, and they all kind of work. Yeah. yeah. Let's just agree that he... I don't know. He's universally racist. He's universally... It's just like, oh, so, you know, it's it's a flying gonzo in a, a wife beater shirt <laughs> who's really... He runs a chop shop and is really, really... Really greedy, <laughs> but what I what I just find so weird, I feel so bad for Ahmed Best is he could be what uh, Andy Circus is now for CGI actors. Andy Circus is so good at playing a CGI character that if he doesn't play one, he actually makes money in Hollywood teaching other people how to mm. act in CGI. Hmm. I mean, he played Andy Circus was had a very small part in the Age of Ultron, didn't he? He got his, I, he got his arm cut off, I think. I, oh yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. He's going to be a bad guy in another one. He's one of those characters oh, that is going to be a villain called Claw. So oh. uh, he's going to pop up again. Set up. But I mean, he was Gollum. He was Caesar. He was King Kong. He was a lot of CGI characters. He's, Plus, he's been apes. He's and been ape, a lot yeah, of apes and small ape-like creatures. Yeah, and so I mean, this is who Ahmed Best could have been. He could have been this revolutionary actor who is all about embracing this new technology. Except his character is universally panned because he's basically just fucking Snarf from Thundercats. So you know what you do? Let's all follow him on Twitter. 
Let's make him feel good. Is he on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm at best. We, I feel bad for you, dude, because I could totally tell you're like, shit, I'm in a Star yeah, Wars he's, movie. He's it's the beginning of something great. He's probably a nice guy, but, you know, Abin Best is not the only person wh- whose life George Lucas has ruined. Oh, Come on right. now. He's got a trail of corpses behind his mistakes. Are you talking about, like, all those people who worked painstakingly uh, on uh, Academy Award winning special effects that he wiped out of history? <laughs> that guy who did the voice of Boba Fett, who yeah. that was the coolest thing on his resume, and now he is like, well, shit, I'm not in on the new versions, but if you find it on VHS, I'm totally in that movie. Or Jake Lloyd's entire life. Oh, God. He really went to the dark side. <laughs> I don't, actually, we should we should just put a, a uh, podcast-wide ban on talking about Jake Lloyd, because it makes me sad every time I feel we like talk I'm bullying it. him yes, if I talk yes. about how bad he turned it's, out. That's true. It's true. I feel really bad, because it's like, oh, man, you are one of the most annoying... Ugh, just getting into Star Wars episode uh, one. But wait, wait. I got one more thing for you. M. Night Shyamalan's got a new movie out. That's true. Yeah. Are you curious at all, Mike? What is it? I've the visitor called I the, think. Visit. the visit. It's about. It's like a found footage movie about these two kids. Oh, I didn't know it was a found. Fo- oh God. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. It's over. It's done. He's a, he's uh, a, show, a TV show too, right? That's he's, what I remember. Yeah, him it's having. called so sleep. Not sleepy hall. It's what's it called? No, it's, oh. it's about the name of a town, and it's a. It is a. I've had it described to me, and it sounds like a wandering, listless, uh, uh, completely incomprehensible. Um, Damon Lindelof show is what it sounds like. So a Damon Lindelof show. Yes. <laughs> but I'd watch that over his next movie because yeah. I, I'd be interesting to see how he translates to TV. I, I would uh-huh. hope it would do better. Yeah. I mean, Damon Lindelof I does better on do TV. Better. Yeah, I think it'd do better. I I don't know. I'm waiting to see, like, you know, a canary in a coal mine, what other people say about The Visit because, I mean, I don't know. That's a weird thing with the experience of watching a Shyamalan movie. We did a whole panel on this guy. Which is that you watch it and you frequently don't know what you're supposed to feel. Not because it's deep and it provokes questions in your mind the way Bioshock does, but because it's confusing and you don't know if all these things are intentionally funny or not. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, like, it's about the trees. Mm. It's, it's all the about the fucking trees, trees guys. <laughs> Hot dogs. Good Hot dogs. It's like characters have these bizarre quirks that you wonder it's like okay i i get it he's really into talking about hot dogs what's the point of that yeah and it's like he really wants to do something like the cohen brothers but he just is kind of and throwing weird for weird sake in there incidentally the cohen brothers uh not they're not not they're involved at all but the fargo tv series is so good oh, i've yeah. heard amazing things it's so good it's coming back soon so can we uh jump way way off uh, back to bioshock please uh, sure <laughs> what's sure, that um so I, I was reading a bunch of fan theories, which is lots of fun. Um, <laughs> trying to piece to, trying to piece together things about the ending and things about sort of consistency. Uh, one that I really liked is that he is uh, that the Lutesses have sent him through 122 times before. Whoa, I like that because when they make you flip the coin and it's heads, there's 122 marks already on there. Oh, I like that. One thing is, uh, so the, you've come into the the reality of Comstock, right? Like you, Dewitt's universe he starts wherever, and then come he's been brought into Comstock's universe. Then why is it that um, Slate recognizes him, recognizes Dewitt, but and not, not, but not Comstock, but not Comstock? Yeah. Mm. His voice has changed too. I mean, the voice is totally different as well. Didn't they say I something don't... about the effect of going through this many times of the portal? It's affected mm. him and made him older. Or something? It, it rapidly aged him, is what they said. Yeah. Okay, and made him sterile. Well, that's that'll happen. That'll happen, <laughs> as it'll do. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's weird. I, you know, I also didn't get to mention at how, despite the fact that Ken Levine does not have children. 
um, it's such a fixation of his narratives is that relationship between parent and child because yeah. you have you have uh, Andrew Ryan and Jack the the main character who he, he thinks of him as a son mm. and also Fontaine does too like they consider themselves paternal big sisters uh, you know big, big yeah. daddy's little sisters as well the Bioshock Two is definitely about a father and a daughter um, and then Booker and Elizabeth are about it as well it's fun I mean. Uh, it opens up ways of interpretation for me looking at the game differently now that I am a parent. But it's funny that someone who does not have children and doesn't he's old now he's older now, so I don't think he will have children, that he weaves that as part of his narrative. Well um, maybe that that's the case in point. Why? You know, like yeah. it's not in his life and he's putting it back out in right. games. I mean yeah. Yeah, like like how Tarantino doesn't have children because his films are his children, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's that. Uh, yeah. but I look at maybe it's the fa- I mean, we, we don't all have children, but we all have parents. Yes, so that plays into true. it. We that's all have true. that experience from at least one angle. and Not all of us. <laughs> <laughs> My parents died test- in a fire and it was terrible. No, I was, th- I was thinking about test tubes. Oh. You know. oh. I was born and I'm a clone. <laughs> I was born? So I uh, wanted to say one thing I get to mention. Uh, this is a better answer to your first question. Okay. Give me, <laughs> the, give me, gave, the, be- give me the better answer. You gave me an uh, answer or you gave me a question. I'm sweating. It's warm in here. I'm going to be transparent. Here's my answer to your first question. While, De- while Deus Ex and Fallout are obvious influences, I think the original game is quite amazing because of its setting alone. Yeah, that's That's it. what I wanted to setting say. Setting alone was the conclusion that you all drew. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Thank you. Nicely done. Okay. I, I got one more. Oh, please. Uh, oh, so please. This, is, uh, this might be a, a fun place to stop. Here. Uh, at the end of Infinite, when you go through Rapture, uh, in, the first, in the first Bioshock, the... It, comes out that the reason that you can activate the base sphere is because of your uh, fact that you're related to Andrew Ryan. It's the fact that you're genetically so close to him is the way that you can control it. But then DeWitt is able to do the same thing. Hmm. Oh. Oh my God. Let that explode in your brain for a second. Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. If it's in the game, it's in the game. John Madden Football 93 for Super NES and Sega Genesis. Where'd that truck come from? EA Sports. It's in the game.